Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Happy Halloween, everybody. I don't know if you're supposed to say that in church. Some people are like, hey, don't say that. We're at church. No Halloween talk. I don't know. But then, you know, the funny thing is that I thought, I don't know, I don't know. I grew up in the church, and so I still have, like, the memories from being in church in the 90s where you didn't do Halloween, you did harvest parties. And, and so, like, we, Christians don't do Halloween. <laughs> and so I thought, well, surely everybody's going to come to church instead of doing Halloween. I was wrong about that. I was, I was hanging out with some friends yesterday from the church, and they're like, oh, no, we're taking our kids trick-or-treating. I'm like, but it's church. Anyways, so here we are. You guys are the faithful few. You know, pat yourself on the back a little bit. No big deal. Uh, we are going to be finishing our spiritual warfare series tonight uh, on Halloween. That was purposeful. Yeah, I don't know, maybe a little bit corny, but uh, it was my idea. So um, as we've been going along in this series, uh, we have been developing a description of what spiritual warfare is. Like, what is spiritual warfare? And so far, our description has been pretty normal. It's been pretty not supernatural. One, one of the quotes uh, that has informed this is from uh, the scholar Michael Heiser. And here's, here's his quote that kind of informed this for me. He said, stop presuming there is a spiritual battle only when there is something bizarre happening. You are being duped and trained to only notice the odd. That is a distraction. Spirit beings are intelligent beings. When they manifest, it's obvious but don't be misled into thinking that is the only activity they engage in. So over the past three weeks, we've talked about how what we see in Genesis 3 with the dece- deceiving of Eve and what we see with, with um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 with him being tempted in the wilderness, those instances are normative for how the wayward Elohim or how demons attempt to neutralize the threat of heaven on earth. So deception, accusation, if you are the son of God, temptation, I'll give you all of this if you just worship me. Those are normative for how we're to think about spiritual warfare. But what about the weird stuff? Because you didn't just come to a spiritual warfare series to just hear a bunch of like, you know, normal stuff. You came to hear about Catholic priests with rosaries. You came to hear about exorcisms with spinning heads. And the the stuff that really sells in books, like what about that stuff? Well, tonight is the night that you have all been waiting for. Uh, I want to talk about what do you do when you meet a demon? What do you do when you meet a demon? I have no idea what you said, so I'm going to keep talking. Let's start here. Let's start here. Let's start with our job description. What is our job description as believers? Well, if I were to ask you, and I want you to, you don't have to answer out loud, just answer in your own mind. If I were to ask you, what is wrong with the world, what would you say? 
Just think about it. If, I, if we were having coffee and I were to sit down with you and I say, you know, what is wrong with the world? Have you, have you seen this world? Have you seen what's going on in our country? What is wrong with the world? What would your answer be? Most likely, if we were talking on like a meta level, not like, well, it's the president that's wrong or it's the, this party or that party that's wrong. If we were to talk on a meta level, you would probably answer this way, the fall. The fall of humanity, Genesis chapter three, the fall of humanity, the fall of spiritual beings, that is what is wrong with the world. And that, that, while that's true, that answer would only be one third of what a first century Jew or what Paul or Peter or the early church fathers would have said. All of the, the early church fathers, Paul, Peter, first century Jews, they all would have said, yeah, it's the fall, but it's also two other things. Here's what they would have said. They would have said it's the fall, but secondly, they would have said it's Genesis chapter six and the Elohim fathering with women Israel's pagan enemies. Do you remember when that happens? You're like, what are you talking about? In Genesis chapter six, there's these sons of God. Remember, we've done a little bit of work on this, but if, you, if, you have, if you're like, what is he talking about? Go back and listen to the first message of this series. Uh, there's these sons of God that come to earth. They find the women of earth attractive and they end up impregnating these women and creating the Nephilim. You're like, when it, I was hoping he was gonna get to the Nephilim. I'm not gonna get to the Nephilim. If you wanna talk about the Nephilim, I'm happy to talk about it, and I'll point you in the direction of Michael Heiser. He has lots of stuff on the Nephilim. But, but, but here's what they would have said. They would have said there was a problem because what these spiritual beings did was they created, if you look, where, where, who did the Nephilim produce? They produce uh, the Canaanites, the Amorites. They produced the enemies of Israel. That's what's wrong with the world, this connection with humans and the wrong kind of spiritual beings. But thirdly, they would have said Babel. Babel is what's wrong with the world. Humans attempting heaven without God and the controlling of God, that's Babel, will build this tower and get God to come down to us, right? And the subsequent giving over of the nations to gods that would lead them astray. You're like, what? Well, Deuteronomy 32, I'm not gonna go there so you can just jot it down if you really wanna get into an in-depth Bible study. But essentially what Deuteronomy 32 says is that at Babel, uh, all of the nations are then, because right, you know, they all come together, they have one language, they build this ziggurat, and what happens is God comes down and he scatters them and gives them different languages. Now what also happens in that moment, we learn in Deuteronomy 32, is that the nations are given over to these gods, to these wayward Elohim uh, that they then go and worship and that lead them astray. So you think about like Moloch. Uh, Moloch was a god that um, was known for child sacrifice, demanding child sacrifice. And there's actually the, the, uh, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom or, or uh, it's right outside of Jerusalem was where a lot of child sacrifice was done. And when Jesus talks about hell or about Gehenna, he's talking about that valley. He's like, Gehenna, where the fire doesn't go out. The child sacrifice valley, that's what hell is like. And so these gods lead these, these nations uh, astray. And, and so this changes, like when we think about that, this actually changes how we view our role in the world among the nations. We live in a nation that has many other nations here, right? And, and so here's what I mean. You're like, what is he getting at? Here's what I mean. This is where it connects with our job description. Remember when Paul starts his mission to the Gentiles? He's like, I'm done going to the Jewish people. They're not listening to me anymore. I'm going to the Gentiles. He's going to nations that have been given over to other gods at Babel. That's what he's doing. And here is his message to, on Mars Hill in Athens 
to the nation of Greece and the gods that they have been worshiping. Here's what he says. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything that is in it, he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now notice what he does. He says, look, you worship these gods because God gave you over to them at Babel, but it's so that you might feel around and find him, which you now have. He's the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. So Paul's message is the gods have been defeated and it's time to reverse Babel. That's Paul's message. Paul's message to the nations is our same message. The gods that you've been worshiping friend, coworker, family member, the gods you've been worshiping have wreaked havoc and disappointment. It's time to come back home because the powers have been defeated and the offspring of Israel, Messiah Jesus has been crowned ruler over all. You can come back home. Yahweh wants you back. You don't need to worship those gods anymore. And so this is our mission. Our job description, it's the same. It's to go to the nations. It's to go to people and say, the gods you've been worshiping that have been wreaking havoc in your life, it's time to give them up and to come back to Yahweh. And, and really, this is what Jesus told us. This is what he told his disciples to do. Here's what he says to his disciples. Next slide. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Their focus at that point was to Jews. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. Now this is a job description that many would be comfortable, especially in the West, to overlook, but it's one we clearly have. We are to rid our world of demonic control. We exist on the front lines, the front line battle of moving, one, moving people from one kingdom and one God to another kingdom and another God. That's our job description. That's what we're to do. We're to drive out demons. Now, how do we do it? Because I don't know about you, but I hear that I'm like, but when did he talk about how to drive out demons? When was the Jesus lecture on the demonic? I don't remember that lecture. I must have missed it. Like, it, it, it's a little daunting to think that, am I gonna know what to do if somebody in my vicinity manifested a demon? It's like, do I tell them, like, the unknown God? Oh, no, that's not what their problem is. But I, they do need to come back to you. What do I do? I wanna walk us through tonight. What does Jesus do when he's faced with a demon? Let's at least start there. What does Jesus do when he's faced with with a demon. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one is where we're going to be. And uh, we're gonna look at a moment where Jesus is in his church, in his synagogue, and he's, he's preaching and a demon manifests. 
And uh, we're going to watch how, how Jesus deals with uh, this particular issue. And I think it's going to be instructive for how we're going to deal with the demonic as well. So look down at your Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 21. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They, being the disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This is what we're to do. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to drive out impure spirits, drive out the demonic just like Jesus does here. Now, what does Jesus do? Like if we're to just kind of like map it out, what does Jesus do? He has two steps. It's very simple. First step is this, shut up. Shut up. You're not going to lie. You're not going to deceive. You're not going to tempt. Shut up. And then he says, you out now. So if you're taking notes, you're like, uh, demonology 101, uh, shut up. You out now. Okay, that's it. You're like, how do I drive out a demon? Shut up. You out now. But isn't, I mean, you're you're like, is it really that easy? Is it really that simple? It's like, shut up and you out now. Huh. I guess I could do that. <laughs> but one of my uh, professors, Gary Brashears, who's helped a lot with this series, he said, you know, um, you know uh, parents who don't discipline their kids? And our whole class is like, yes, we've seen that. <laughs> and he's like, there's a lot of parents who they have authority over their children, but they don't know how to exercise it. And so they don't do anything. And he says, there's a lot of Christians who have authority over, over demons, but they don't know how to exercise it. And so they get dominated. I would argue that you out now is what we do in almost any encounter. Generally speaking, that's what we're to do. We're to to stand on truth and we're to say you out now because we have authority. Remember, all things are under our feet. We are seated next to Christ in the heavenly realms. Jesus has triumphed over all powers, all authorities, all rules, all dominions, and we get to join in the crushing, right? It's really good news. Uh, Jesus has also given us the power to do so. Not only do we have this status with him, but we have been given the Holy Spirit, right? We all agree, like, if you're in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. Some nods would be helpful. I'm seeing a lot of just, like, blank stares. We're gonna move past it. I'm prophesying over this church. We're gonna move past it. We're gonna wake up. Um, He's given us the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is this. How does Jesus cast out the demonic? He said, you out now, but, but it, what was the power? What was the ability that he had to do that? Well, when Jesus is asked about this, because that is a question that comes up in the Gospels, here's what Jesus says. It is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Interesting, okay? Because sometimes we'd think, well, Jesus is God, right? So, of course, Jesus can drive out demons. 
And if Jesus drove out demons using a tool that he didn't give us, then we shouldn't expect to drive out demons because he had that tool. He was God, right? He drives out demons with the very thing that he gives us. So we should have the confidence and we should know we have the ability to do the same thing. You, shut up, you out now. So you're ready, right? But could there be maybe a little bit more information given? Uh, because we want to uh, equip in everything that we do, we always are aiming to equip uh, the saints for the work of ministry. I want to walk through Saints Hill's principles on demon encounters, okay? This is gonna be a very practical message. Some of my messages are, are beautiful and there's a narrative to it. I'm gonna bring you to a wonderful conclusion. I'm just gonna give you some bullet points, okay? And we're gonna walk through these bullet points. So if you're not taking notes, you should be taking notes. Get your phone out, get a piece of paper out, whatever you need. Need. Uh, these are our principles on demon encounters. And the first principle is this. When thinking about the demonic and thinking about encountering the demonic, the first principle is this. We do not do demon hunting, okay? We don't go looking for demons. Some people are like, I'm gonna discover demons and I'm gonna crush them and I'm gonna go do, there was even like a band, Demon Hunter, right? Wasn't that like a band? At some, okay, yeah, there we go, Mac, yes. Uh, there was a band, Demon Hunter. So Jesus never once goes looking for a demon, Never once goes looking for a demon. They just seem to find him. Like, do you know how many, like now you should go home and you should read through the gospels and just count, like make a little tally how many times he encounters a demon. It's constantly. He's constantly eating. He's constantly encountering demons, okay? So um, it's a strange thing, but it seems to me from the life of Jesus that opposition and sickness and the demonic are all things that are attracted to him. I don't know why. They're attracted to him. And you may find this in your own life. You're like, why do all of my friends with problems talk to me about it? It's like, well, maybe you actually have a solution and they're hungry for it, you know? Um, you, you Probably after this whole series, we will start to see more manifestation of demons in our lives or in our gatherings. And so we're gonna be ready for this. We don't need to go hunting for it, but we're gonna be ready. Uh, the second, second principle that we have is this. Demons will puff themselves up. Don't fear. They'll, they're like a blowfish. They try to puff themselves up to, to, to make you think they are bigger than they are because if you think that they are bigger than they are, then they actually will be that big in your life. Does that make sense? I remember the first time that I ever met a demon uh, face to face. Um, there was this, it was my first year working at uh, the church that helped us plant Bridgetown. And I, 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 I came to church that Sunday. I'm just kind of wide-eyed, like, wow, I can't believe I'm working in this church. And, and you just never know what could, what could happen. And next thing you know, Boom, there's a gal who comes and she has a demon. And she's hanging out in the, in the lobby at this time and she's kind of milling around. She's uttering weird things. She's doing weird things. She's hitting weird things. Just weird stuff was happening. And so Gerald and I, one of the pastors there, we, we walked over to her. We started a conversation with her. We said, hey, what's going on? It seems like you're a little bit in distress. Could we talk to you? And very quickly, she kind of snarled at us and she, she said something that indicated us, okay, there's something more going on here. And we said, okay, would you, would you like prayer? And, she, and she, it was this moment of kind of her coming to her senses. She said, yes, I would. So we said, okay. So we take her up to, we had a prayer room at that time. We didn't do prayer down in front. We had prayer in a, in a room at that time. And we spent about an hour and a half with this gal, uh, basically in this time of deliverance, uh, where we were talking with her, we were asking her questions. Because part of it, and we're gonna get to this a little bit, part of it, you're, you're trying to determine, is this a demon or is this mental illness? And we'll talk about that. But like, what exactly is going on here? And is this something that can be cast out? Or is this something we need to refer to somebody else? Or, or is this something else? This could be drugs, it could be something else. 
And, and we kind of quickly realized that this was a demon because what happened was she, we had never given, I, Gerald had never mentioned his name. And she looked at Gerald and she said, I know who you are, Gerald. And he's like, whoa. And she says, you live at this address. And it was his address. And he was like, whoa. And, he, and, and then she said, and I know your kids' names. And she named all of his kids. And she said, I'm gonna come to your house and I'm gonna kill your whole family. And I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, I should, I don't know if I want to be a pastor anymore. This is crazy. <laughs> I was like, if you're going to have people coming around knowing your kids' names, that's just nuts. Um, and, and, but Gerald had this wherewithal about him, and he said, he says, no, you're not. You're lying. I'll laugh at you. He started laughing at her. And instantly, she just began to manifest. She's, she's spitting, she's angry, and she's speaking in this other voice that was different than the voice that she had been speaking in. And so in that moment, we, we commanded the demon out of her. She began to just, she crumpled basically to the floor, began to cry. We comforted her and came around her and started praying truth over her. And there was a really beautiful kind of salvific moment, I believe, that happened in that, in that moment. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It wasn't me. I was terrified. I was just watching Gerald. I was like, wow, this is incredible. But this is what demons will do. They're going to gin up empty threats trying to get you into fear. If they can get you into fear, they'll control you. And, and I, w- one of the things that Gary Brashears has told me is he says, you know, demons hate to be looked at. And when you really identify, oh, there's a demon there, they'll fuzz is what he says like a cat kind of like like their hair all sticks up you know I think about like taking my dog on a walk and we'll walk by cats and if she doesn't look at the cat the cat normally is just kind of crouched down looking at her but if she looks at the cat the cat arches its back and is like you know get away from me sort of thing that's what demons do that's exactly what demons do if there's really a demon there and you start to kind of zero in on I think there's something demonic going on there uh they will totally present, totally you know, show themselves and begin to lie and begin to try to get fear over you. So what do we do? Because that sounds all kind of scary. It's like, man, Jesus, the, the guy just said a weird thing and then he said, shut up, you're out now. But what if there is this prolonged kind of almost struggle? What do we do? Well, we lower emotion. We dial it down. We lower our volume. We become when, when demons uh, object and they scream and we just do the opposite. We minimize the demon's power by speaking truth. And here's a couple passages that I would suggest having like, you know, on a note card somewhere or in your back pocket or maybe even memorize these, maybe take a picture of them. But these are two passages that I think are really effective when you need truth in the face of a lying demon. Uh, Colossians chapter two says this, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. So, you know, a demon, you're, 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 casting a demon out of somebody, and they start saying, well, I know that you did this, I know that you did this, you sinned here, you're not worth, no, 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 he forgave us all our sins. He canceled the charge of legal indebtedness that was against me, He which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers, that includes you, demon, and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of you, triumphing over you by the cross. That's what you do. They have no power unless you give them power. Ephesians chapter one, this is another really great one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every. Everybody say every. 
every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in accordance with his pleasure and will. The demon's like, you're never gonna do anything with your life. You're, you know, just whatever lies you hear and you're going, no, he chose me. Every single resource in the heavenly realms is at my fingertips, at my disposal. You're not gonna get over, this over on me. No, you've been triumphed over. And that's what you do. These are great places to start with truth. So, okay, demons puff themselves up. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear. Here's another, here's another thing that we do. Whenever we're faced with a demon, we ask this question, do you wanna be free of it? This is an important question. Some people do not wanna be free of their demons. They don't wanna be free of them. They're used to the demon. They kinda like it. Um, in some cases, it can give them real power, actually have power in life because of the demon or they have a sense of security or moral superiority um, that because of this voice that speaks into their minds. Um, I, I even know people who have been saved and redeemed and actually come to our church. They're friends of mine who through the demonic obtained material wealth uh, through manifesting things in their life, through, I believe it's a demonic thing to, to try to use the spiritual world, to ma manipulate the spiritual world to get physical gain. And this is what they did, uh, through, just through demonic agreement. So, so you really never know. Um, you don't know. You need to ask the question, like, do you actually wanna be free of this? Um, and if they do, because there, there have been instances where I have been praying for somebody, there's been a demon, it seems you know, obvious, okay, I think there's a demon, or you've at least agreed with one here, do you wanna be free of it? And there really is just, no, I don't actually. I don't wanna be free of it. Um, so, so you just don't know, so I would ask, but I do wanna say this, there's a slight caveat on this point. If there is torment, what's that? If there's torment, think of, um, think of the, the man with a legion of demons. Remember him? He was... I think probably one of the saddest lines in the whole Bible was written about him. Um, it, it, this was the line that it said, night, out, night and day among the tombs, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. It's a grown man living in a graveyard, crying out. It's torment. Um, I think in that situation, and we see this with Jesus, Jesus doesn't ask this man if he wants to be free of the demon, but I think in that situation where you see there's real torment, even with this gal that Gerald and I had prayed for, where you see there's real torment there, um, I, I think that it is legal for a, a believer to step in and bring about deliverance, to cast that demon out. Um, and, and, but I also think it's important that we invite the Holy Spirit in, and, and we're gonna talk a little bit about, okay, what kind of follow-up do you do after that? Um, I think we can step into those situations and we can bring about deliverance. Uh, the, the next principle that we have is this. Is the person that you're praying for saved? Like, are they a Christian? Um, because that's gonna change my goal a little bit with them. Um, I want somebody ultimately to be saved. That, that's the greatest protection against the demonic is salvation. That somebody would be in Christ so that they cannot be owned by the enemy. That's what I ultimately want. I want somebody to come into Christ. I want them to be able to stand on their own. And so that if that demon comes back or another demon comes along, that they, this is what we're doing here. Like this is like the school that we're in right now. We're equipping you. We've been doing this this whole series. Equipping you to be able to do spiritual warfare so that you don't need to go, oh my gosh, I think there's a demon in my life. I should go talk to the elders. That's fine. We can do that. But I want you to be able to stand firm. That's what the scriptures say. So ultimately, we're equipping saints to live a powerful life on their own. And for that to happen, somebody needs to come into Christ. If they're gonna live a powerful life in Christ, they need to be in Christ, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be asking that question like, are you saved? Do you follow Jesus? Have you professed faith? It says in, in the scriptures that nobody can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Think about that. 
Nobody can really say Jesus is Lord and mean it without the Holy Spirit. It's very important. Uh, The next principle that we have is this. We don't do an interview. No demon interviews, okay? (laughs) Um, There are some who, part of their spiritual warfare strategy, think that we need to know demons' names um, or we need to know what specific sin was committed that allowed the influence. Um, Just quite simply, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't do interviews. There's one instance where he asks for the name of a demon. The demon doesn't give a name. He gives an amount. He says legion. Um, so, so my focus in most demon, demonic encounters is not the demon. I don't care where he came from. I don't care what his opinions are. I don't care about what he's been doing. What I care about is what God intends to bring in that person's life. That's my focus. So I don't interview the demon like, and so what kind of sin did they commit to? You know, I'm not interested. I'm not interested, this is kind of a cheesy example, but you know, it, for those who, who study um, you know, counterfeit money, uh, they, they do not spend their time studying all the, all the ways that bills could be counterfeited. They study the real thing. And they study the real thing because if they get the real thing deep inside of them, they'll recognize when something isn't the real thing. And we do the same thing with, with almost all issues in the Christian life. We focus on him, and, then the, and the light will reveal where there's darkness. Very easy to see. That's darkness. Don't need to interview, okay? We simply say, you out now. And then I think it's very important, talking about follow-up, once you do that, I think it's important to follow up with a couple different prayers. The first prayer is a cleansing prayer. Uh, and, and here's what this prayer is. I'm just going to read this. Maybe I would recommend taking a picture of this as well. This can be a really helpful prayer when you pray with somebody who's had any kind of demonic uh, stuff going on in their lives. Uh, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that this area of weakness or sin or doubt or specific area of demonic influence may be empowered by evil spirits. If it is, I want nothing to do with them. So, And by the way, I'm not praying this for the person. The person is praying this. So I might have the person repeat after me or something like that. So I acknowledge that you have triumphed over all over these demons and evil spirits by the power of the cross and resurrection and that you have provided forgiveness for all my sins. Demon, in the name and authority of Jesus, I command you, get away from me right now. Jesus, thank you for hearing me and standing with me, giving me courage and ability. Please cleanse me with your water and fill me anew with your Holy Spirit that I may be able to live in the joy and freedom you've purchased with your blood. It's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Can you imagine somebody going from being demonized, the influence of a demon, the voice in their head, to being able to declare this and stand in that kind of freedom? It's deliverance. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, there is uh, a passage that Jesus talks about. We don't have time to go. It's already going to be a long enough message that we don't, we don't have enough time to go to it. But Jesus says, when you cleanse a house, fill the house. When you cleanse the house, fill the house. You cleanse the house and you don't fill the house, the demons will come back. So it's very important that you then ask, Holy Spirit, Come. <laughs> What, do you, what truth do you want to say? And we should address right here, what were the lies, what were the fears, what was the sin that did lead you to open up your life to the demonic? Let's talk about that because I think that's important. The next kind of prayer that we want to pray is the truth prayer. Um, after some sense of reprieve or deliverance, my goal for anyone is to help them comprehend and integrate the truth of the Bible into their life. So I will have somebody often repeat after me this prayer. Uh, I am powerful, I'm a powerful son or daughter of the most high, it's a very simple prayer. Uh, I have authority in Christ over all demonic powers. I'm forgiven of all sin. Uh, sorry, babe, my wife is always like, you need to check your slides for typos. Sorry about that. Uh, for all sin, Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to see. That's, that's, that's the prayer that I want people to, to step into so that they're standing, no, no, I, I do have this status. I'm a son, I'm a daughter. 
I do have this ability. All demonic powers, I'm over you. <laughs> you know, this is powerful stuff when people start stepping into this. There's some of you tonight who you need to pray this. This needs to be part of your like bedtime routine that you pray this before bed. Uh, after expulsion, like I said, we probably do need to deal eventually with the fear, the sin, the weakness, et cetera, that led to the demonic agreement to begin with. Now, those are our principles. Uh, there's probably more principles that we should have, but these are, as we grow and as we learn, these are the principles that we've got so far. And probably right now you're going, wow, okay, um, I feel a little bit more equipped and I got some tools, I got some scripture, I got some prayers that I can pray. Um, but I have some questions. I've got some questions. And uh, I probably won't answer all your questions, but I do want to address uh, a few things tonight. So some questions. Maybe you're thinking, the first question is this. Can I catch a demon like you catch a cold? <laughs> like all of a sudden, I was, just a ra- I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and boom, I just got started getting depressed by a demon. Um, I think that there is a better metaphor than that to use, and it's the metaphor that I used last week. It's kind of funny. But it's the metaphor of tennis balls and Velcro. I think demons are like ricocheting around our world and they are looking for little spots of Velcro on people to stick to. And those spots of Velcro are our agreement with them, okay? So you don't agree with them, they're gonna bounce right off of you. Or at least if they, they, they hit you, you'll see it and you'll go, nope, get away, right? Um, we, we should be vigilant though about what we're around and what we're allowing in, especially through media, entertainment, music, things like that. Like I know there's some of you, you grew up in like the 70s and the 60s where like you'd come to church and you'd burn your CDs. We're not gonna do that, but I do wanna say this. You should really think about what you think about. If most spiritual warfare happens in the mind, you should really, there are things that seem totally innocent but they represent disordered love. And as you imbibe them, you imbibe a new framework of disordered love. And you go, that's not, no, that is demonic. That's absolutely demonic, that you're, you would drift away from loving God. I found this in my own life, and just to be very honest with you, I found this with politics, where I, f- I love the news, I, I love you know, thinking on a philosophical, political level, and I have found at times that my worldview has so been shaped by the world, by, honestly, the, the yeast of Herod, if you will. So shaped by the thinking and the ways of the world that when I come to the scriptures, I go, oh, I'm way more confronted right now than I've been before taking in what seemed to be innocent. Okay, so um, we should think about what we think about. But, but also, um, I do wanna mention this. Uh, my wife and I had an interesting experience. Uh, we were on vacation uh, about a month ago, and uh, one of the last nights of vacation, Emily says to me, she says, um, every night for the past three or four nights, I've been waking up in the middle of the night with my heart racing, tons of anxiety, and I just feel like it's demonic. I have all these fears that I'm, I, I'm you know, ricocheting through my mind. And I just, I, I'm so frustrated because I don't think I agreed with anything. I didn't do anything. I'm trying to think back, like, is there anything that I can repent of or say, that, you know, say no to? And, and I'm, just, I'm just gripped with fear in the middle of the night. Has anybody ever had that happen, by the way? You've, you've been woken up in the middle of the night and just been, whoa, oh my gosh, heart racing, fear about this, fear about that, situations, whatever. And so we started talking about it, and I was working on this series at the time, and I, and I was, I was kind of puzzled by it. I was like, wow, okay, so you didn't agree with anything. Are you sure? Like, you know, she's like, yes, I'm sure. Like, okay, huh, okay. Well, I don't know why this is happening. Demons hate you. They hate all believers. Uh, they hate all people. Uh, so, you know, they wanna bring about chaos. Here's what we're gonna do. 
Every night before we go to bed now, we're gonna pray, we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, we're gonna say to the demon, get out now, you don't have any business being in our bedroom, being in our house, being talking to my wife, out now. This is what Adam should have done, get out. And, and what we're gonna do is now we're gonna ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would fill my wife's subconscious, that you would fill her dreams with what you think. I don't want just a clean slate. I want, it, I want my subconscious full of your world and what you think, God. And um, she slept, slept a lot better from that night forward. There's been another night that we've had to kind of come back to that and pray before bed. And I think it's a really important thing. Maybe this is something you can do with your roommates or you can do with a friend. You can call them up and say, hey, I'm going through this thing. This is something that's difficult. Um, let's pray before I go to sleep. I really think there's something about sleep. Your subconscious is just completely turned on. You're not really thinking. And so it can be a time of kind of all the junk from that maybe you have agreed with or haven't agreed with or whatever can come up in those moments. I think that's, in time, that's important to, to, note, to note and to uh, be aware of. Um, the next question that maybe you have is this, like what if I'm be personally being attacked? Obviously, I've been addressing this a little bit, but I wanna say more. Um, if you're personally being attacked by a demon, it says nothing about the quality of Christian that you are. Sometimes, I don't know why, where this came from. It's funny, it's like Jesus was attacked by a demon, but some people have this thought that uh, if I'm attacked by a demon, that means that there's something wrong with my walk with the Lord or something like that. No, 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 we're all, we're all just learning. We're walking in, in tandem with him. And one of the things that Andoni says that I just, I think is really great. He says, if you do, if I don't, he, this is what he says, if I don't meet the devil head on at times, then I may be in danger of going in the same direction. It's like, yeah, you should be meeting the enemy sometimes. You should be doing battle sometimes. That's okay. There, there are some good questions that I would encourage you to ask. Do I have any fears that are unsurrendered fears? Do I have any fears that are unsurrendered? Like, is there any fear in my life uh, that I've allowed to just kind of run rampant? Fear of death or fear of losing this person or fear of not having this happen in life, whatever it is. Is there fear in my life that is unsurrendered? All of us probably have it. And that's a, a really core place where the enemy wants to come and attack. Um, another question to ask yourself is how much authority do I think I have? Like we've been talking about this whole series. How much authority do you think that you have? You really only have as much authority as you think you have. <laughs> you know, you could have all the authority in the world, but if you don't believe it and don't access it, then you're a sitting duck. So what I, what I like to do is I like to do a preemptive strike on the demonic, uh, specifically whenever I am traveling or staying in a place that isn't my home. My home, we've prayed over our home, we worship in our home, we talk about God in our home, we pray in our home. It's a really covered place. It's a wonderful place of rest for us. But anytime, like we're gonna, our staff is going on a trip um, uh, this week to a conference, we're going to an Airbnb. Whenever I, when I get there, I'm gonna pray over the room that I'm gonna sleep in. I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, this is your room. I don't know what's happened in this room before, what agreements have been made. I canceled those, and now I'm in this room, so Holy Spirit, come speak to me in this room. And I'd encourage you guys to do the same. Now, what about this one? Here's, here's where it gets juicy. Can a Christian be possessed? Some of you are like, no. Well, it depends on what you mean by possessed. How do you define Possessed. Uh, in the scripture, the word possessed, it doesn't exist. It's the word uh, demonized, okay? And the word demonized can mean three different things. Owned, dominated, and influenced. So can a Christian be demonized? Can a Christian be owned, dominated, or influenced by Satan or by a demon? So the first question is, is can, a demon, can, can a Christian be owned? And unequivocally, all Christians believe no. 
A Christian cannot be owned by Satan. Where would we go for that? How do we know about that? Romans chapter eight, jot it down. In Romans chapter eight, it says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present, future, nor any powers, remember the sons of God, any Elohim will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, period. No separation. This is good news, guys. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm working up here. I need a little bit of something going on. Okay, so scripture is clear. Satan can't steal you back. You are owned. You are in Christ. Now, here's a question. Can a believer be influenced? And I think we'd say, absolutely. This is what the last three weeks were all about. Deception, accusation, temptation. That, those come every day. And your agreement will empower them. So it's important to be thinking about what you think about. It's a dead horse at this point. Can a Christian be dominated? Now, here's where there's a little bit of disagreement among scholars, among theologians, among Christians. Can a Christian be so under the influence that they lose control? You're like, I didn't, I didn't do that. The devil made me do that. Is that possible? Uh, or maybe the, uh, to spatially talk about it, can a demon be inside a believer? Location, inside a believer. Well, um, if, if we're the temple of God, Right, we're the temple of God. Yes, 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 okay, all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't have, it's cooler when you do it, Jake. Um, if we are the temple of God, can a demon be inside the temple? Well, there's where you're wrong. Because in Ezekiel, there's a demon inside the temple. Hmm. In the Old Testament temple, um, there are Asherah, statues put up in the temple. Hmm. So, so that's a little bit interesting. So can a demon be inside a believer? Well, I don't know. Maybe. That's my answer to you. I don't know. Maybe. It, it happened in the Old Testament, but I would be less concerned with location and more concerned with authority and influence. Like, like think about, um, think about, and this is something uh, sad to think about, but think about an abusive relationship between a husband and a wife. An abusive man can control his abused wife even if he isn't in her or if she lives far away, the fear can still control her, right? It doesn't matter where the demon is, it matters how much you fear the demon, and it matters how much authority you've given over to the demon. Our response will be the same. You out now, then personal empowerment with truth, breastplate of righteousness, uh, helmet of salvation, alignment with Yahweh, and the renouncing of any serpent stuff. That's, that's what we do, okay? Um, now, now, this is a really important one and one that I, I want you to pay attention on. This is the next question. How do I know it's a demon and not something else? What if it is just mental illness? This is a huge question, a really important one. Uh, <clears throat> we have um, just one instance <clears throat> in the scriptures that may give us some clues from the life of Jesus as to the connection between mental illness and the demonic. And that's the Gadarene demoniac that we already mentioned him earlier, the man with a legion of demons. And, and here, here's the only time where demonization is associated with mental illness. And what, we're, what we hear is this. After the man was healed, he was found dressed and in his right mind. It's interesting, okay? So there's a connection there between he once had these demons, he wasn't in his right mind. The demons get cast out, and now he's, in a, he's thinking clearly. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, I personally believe... Opinion, you can disagree. I personally believe uh, that we should not come to the conclusion that all mental illness has a specific demon behind it. 
I don't think we should come to that conclusion. It is important for us to remember that we are bio, biological, we are uh, psycho, psychological, we are social, we're communal, and we're spiritual beings. All of those things. That's the kind of beings that we are on this planet. Meaning that we have a body, we're having a physical experience, we, we have a mind, uh, we have a community need, and we have a soul or an ability to communicate with spiritual beings like Yahweh himself. Okay? We have all of those abilities. And all of those aspects of our humanity are interrelated and they are spiritual because they came from God. Sometimes we do this like there's the sacred and the secular or there's the, the, the earthly and the heavenly or the physical and the spiritual. In us, in humans, we are a combination of the earthly and the spiritual, all in one. And it's important for us to realize that all of these aspects have been affected by the fall. The fall has affected our bodies. Uh, we are, we're mortal, we are prone to illness. We, we, some of us have uh, genetic defects which increase our vulnerability to, psych, to physical or psychological chaos, right? It's part of it, right? And so what I wanna say is that the fall or demonic presence in the world has affected all parts of us. Um, so in a sense, all pain and all chaos and all mental problems are demonic, generally speaking. They wouldn't be there without the faults. Not a part of God's future for the world, not a part of God's future for you. But I am not convinced, and I'm not sure, you could be, that's fine. I am not sure that there is a personalized demon behind each ailment that we experience in life. I think some things, there's a personal demon behind, like the instance in Mark. I think in other cases, it's part of being a part of a broken uh, world and a broken universe. I believe that some mental illness comes specifically from agreement with the demonic. I think a lot of anxiety comes from a lack of truth. It's not a popular thing to say, it's what I believe. I think a lot of anxiety that we, you know, that we talk about today comes from a lack of believing the truth. That's why the truth matters so much. I don't know many people who they live their lives on the truth, uh, they're full of joy because of the truth and they also have a ton of anxiety. Not all anxiety is a lack of truth, but I think a lot of it is, okay? But often, we don't know what is demonic and what is more physical or biological consequence of a broken world generally. We just don't know. So where the rubber meets the road is this. It is important to not try to solve something that doesn't have a personal demon behind it with a deliverance solution. So it's like, okay, if, if like imagine somebody with crippling depression. Um, you, you don't know, and you don't know, you're, you're sitting there, you're talking with them, you're discovering, okay, tell me about what this is like in your life, and what you don't know is that the real reason, if we were to peel back the curtains of the universe and you could really know for sure, the real reason of this depression is a broken biological reason. There's something chemically imbalanced, there's something wrong. But you don't know that, so you start casting out demons. Um, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a tact that probably could be lost at that point, and there's maybe a relational problem that could happen. Uh, I don't know that it's the end of the world. Some people are like, oh my gosh, that's so offensive. It's like, well, if there is a demon, wouldn't you rather that they were at least firing in some direction and getting some of them out of there? Um, you know, but, but a like look, a demon would love to pump energy into depression. So maybe it's a good idea to just like, if there's any attachment because of the depression, you out now. Shut up, you out now, right? But we may just not have enough information, so it's a good idea to proceed with humility. <laughs> like, we just may not know. Um, and so to determine if there's a demon, how do you determine? Like, is it, is it, how do you determine? I look for three different things, okay? 
Write these down, please. Um, I look for three different things. The first thing that I look for is an accusing voice. Does this person have a voice in their life that accuses them? Is that a primary part of the depression? Is it a primary part of their mental illness that they have a voice that is accusing them? Okay, I'm looking for that. I'm secondly looking for an oppressive presence. What I mean by that is, is there any stealing, killing, or destruction that is taking place in this person's life? Okay, so, so I mean, self-harm, huge red flag. That's so demonic. Like, that is so, I mean, it's from the scriptures, so uh, what the enemy intends to do to come in and cause people to destroy the very thing that God has made. Okay, so I'm looking for that oppressive presence. Is there a dark cloud over them? Are they constantly walking with just this kind of um, sense that the world is against them and that, that nothing good will ever happen? That oppressive presence. And the third thing that I'm gonna look for is a cult history. A cult history, or do they, have, uh, do, they, do they love media or entertain media that celebrates the power of chaos? Um, what I'm interested on this point is in what power they have been open to that isn't God's power. Like what power have they been open to that's not God's power? That's what I'm interested in. Um, next, and slightly related to this, is, is this question. What about character issues? Is there a demon behind all sin? Um, I think, no. I, I, here's what I think. We have a desire to sin because sin is available in our world. <laughs> Uh, that's why we have a desire to do it, um, but there probably isn't a personal demon behind sin. And, and I would say this, most sins do not need demonic deliverance. They need a believer to stand in their position in Christ. That's what most sins need, okay? Lastly, and very importantly for me, is what do we do with children? What about children? For those of you who are parents, you know this is real, very real. Uh, I hear many stories of children living with accusing voices, um, voices of crippling fear in their life. They don't wanna be alone, they can't sleep at night. Um, they're prone, some kids are prone, especially as they get older into teenage years, they're prone to self-harm or depression. And age stage really matters here um, because of what is happening hormonally in the body. So, you know, there's all kinds of wacky stuff happening in teenagers and college students. And, you know, there's all kinds of wacky just bodily change that's taking place. And so it's not always easy to go, okay, that's a demon or that isn't. But I've found that many children up through high school into college haven't been taught how to stand in truth. And so it can be open season with their fear. They were never taught, they were never trained, they never got this before, and so it's just open season on their fears. And so I wanna give you parents some tools. And, and this could also, honestly, you could use this with your dorm mates or your roommates as well. Um, for children who are old enough, who, have, who can cognitively reason, have your child repeat after you. You know, we have, we've given you some, some tools and some, some scriptures to use, uh, but remember that the goal of spiritual warfare is to empower the individual to be able to fight their own battles in the future. So, so you're, you're empowering your child. You're standing with them. And so what you can do is you can pray we prayers. Um, so you can say, we stand firm and we resist you and we invite the Holy Spirit. Okay, say that with me, okay? And, you know, here, very simple. We tell you, demon, to get out now, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to make your presence felt here. It's very simple. It doesn't need to be elaborate, just simple for them to be able to understand. Uh, Lexi and Ainsley have done just an incredible job. Here's a little handout on spiritual warfare for kids, okay? This is out at the uh, new person's table, our info table, and they walk through a th uh, the theology that we've been talking about, and then they also have in here um, uh, just prayers to pray. They have verses to recite. Really good stuff. Thank you, Lexi, for doing that. It's awesome. 
I find uh, that this could be a good moment for helping your child understand the benefits of being safe with God, and it may be a time for them to place trust in God. It could be a very cool moment for you to say, hey, look, the world is full of the demonic and its effects, and you have an opportunity right now to trust in God, and he will uh, be with you. He'll give you authority over those evil, scary things, and he can keep you safe. Um, but if they are too little, let's say that you have ch children like I do who are too little to repeat after you. They can hardly talk. Um, what I do with Georgie is this. I take my spiritual authority over my home, over the child that has been entrusted to me, and I command demons away from her, and I ask for angels to come and protect her. If Jesus talks about, there's a whole theology on angels that we didn't have time for in this series, but Jesus talks about um, how children have their own angels, or generally, the, the I, children in general have angels in heaven who actually protect them. I believe that, so I, every night, Every single night, I stand over her crib while she's sleeping and I say, any demonic stuff, out now. I invite you angels to now watch over her, protect her, and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and, and be in her dreams that she might be familiar with your presence. My goal as a parent, I think we have a slide with this, yeah. My goal as a parent is to create an environment where the presence of God is hosted so that when God is cognitively introduced, my children have an emotional history of the presence of God in their sleep and in our family life. So that's my goal. And, and what, this, what this is, is it, it, you, this could be playing worship music in your home. Worshiping in your home, singing in your home. It could be conversations between you and your spouse about God and theology. My wife and I were on a drive the other day and we were just talking about theology and debating and, and she's a Bible, she went to Bible school and, and studied Hebrew so she knows a lot more than me and so we, we have all these debates and all these talks and, and I'm like, how, what, how special is it that Georgie gets to listen to this? That she's gonna start from an early age being introduced to the truth of God. What a, what a beautiful thing. So, uh, Prayer before bed, it's a great thing, and inviting the Holy Spirit to meet them in their dreaming. Now, you probably have more questions, but hopefully that was really, really practical. Normally I don't give messages like this that are so practical, but hopefully this really helps you. Now we get the privilege, guys. Okay, well, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, let's all stand up together. We're gonna end here. We have the privilege to learn together as a church family. How special is this? We are gonna see the demonic pushback in our valley. How special is that? We are like Paul on Mars Hill. We are going to this valley to our coworkers and our friends and our campus and our families and we are going to displace those wayward Elohim and invite the Holy Spirit to take up his residence in their lives. Such a beautiful thing. Uh, we're gonna receive communion to celebrate this right now. So go ahead and grab your communion and open the top. Take the bread out. That was a lot, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging in there. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, hold the bread before you and just say this with me. Jesus, thank you for your body broken that I could be made whole. I receive your body today. Go ahead and take a eat. Go ahead and hold the juice in front of you. Say, Jesus, by your blood, I'm made clean. Jesus, by your blood, 
I have authority over all power. I receive your blood today and all of its effects. Go ahead and receive. All right, go ahead and put your hand over your heart. We're just gonna end with a declaration tonight. As we end this whole series and thinking about all this stuff, we're gonna end with the truth. Put your hand over your heart. Let's declare this together. Jesus, I acknowledge that you have triumphed over all demons and evil spirits by the power of the cross and resurrection. You purchase my forgiveness for all my sins. So please reveal to me any influence I have given to the serpent that I may renounce it today. Jesus, thank you for hearing me and standing with me, giving me courage and ability. Please cleanse me with your water and fill me anew with your Holy Spirit that I may be able to live in the joy and freedom you have purchased. Go ahead and invite the Holy Spirit. If he may want to address things that I haven't spoken to, we just are patient and waiting for you, Lord. If there's anything that you want to say, anything that you want to highlight. We just say thank you, God, for speaking and for giving us such an unbelievable reality. What, what kind of people are we that we get to have all authority given to us over the demonic and not have to worry about that anymore? God, that we don't have to fear. We don't have to live in fear. You've won eternally. You have eternal purpose for each of us. God, thank you. Would you put that truth so deep in us today? Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.